I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. go. It's good to see you. You know what? It is good to be seen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not viewed. Amen. Amen. Mahalia looks really cute. She's snatched up on top of your head in a little poof situation. Looks like a remnants of a twist out. (laughs) Yeah, Mahalia and I really tried to give it a go in terms of just wearing it out for the twist out. But, you know, she wasn't having it with all of my exercise needs and it's, you know, still a little warm outside. So with all my my sweatiness, she was just like, nah, we're gonna gonna turn this back into a puff, so. Do you sweat in your scalp? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's actually one of my like fun black girl facts about me. I do not, first of all, I don't sweat much at all regardless Mm. of what I'm doing. Like, unless I'm in a very, very hot room, like hot yoga or something like that where the room is hot, but I'm not much of a sweater. And for that reason, I do not sweat in my scalp at all. Wow. You know, the the black women who are listening to this are like, because nothing interrupts what you're trying to do with your hair. If it's curly, then sweat and moisture. I'm telling you. And I remember when I was moving from California to to go to school at Tuskegee and um, out on the West Coast, because it's not very humid out there, a lot of people there you know, didn't use, you know, chemical relaxers on their hair. They straightened their hair with a hot comb or like flat irons. I came to college and I remember girls in my dorm standing around me, curiously staring as I pressed my hair. They're like, why are you doing that? You're going to step outside (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's going to be a big puff. And I'm like, no, it's not. It it also doesn't hold a whole bunch of moisture in it. Like it doesn't, like if Mm -hmm. I step out into spaces that are humid, it takes a lot for my hair to puff up. Wow. That yeah, is fascinating. I, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it has to be, if I've just, just, just washed my hair um, and it's high porosity at that time, mm-hmm. then yes, it will take on moisture. But after like a couple of days, like it is right now where it's all flat and oily or whatever, I could probably, short of walking in rain, I could probably, you know, do a workout, go for a run and it's going to look the same. Man, that's a little, that's a little mercy. I will take it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm here for it, even though, (laughs) you know, me and Mahalia will have some fights when it comes to moisture. I am really just always in awe of the range and the spectrum of all things black women hair. It is. So what else is new with you? Yeah. Well, I have to continue to give you credit. You know, I was very much religiously like pro book, non-audio book. And really it wasn't until I listened to The Covenant of Water as an audiobook that I realized, wow, this is a whole different experience. So 
This weekend, I decided to go back and, and listen to Beloved by Toni Morrison on audiobook. It's It's been a minute since I, I read that book several years ago, but listening to it in her voice. Yeah, she narrates her own books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, it, it's been a, a divine experience. So that's been uh, that's been a treat. This was like a big self-care weekend and that was a part of it. Also, it. shout out to anybody who was watching or has been watching the world championships for track and field. Shikari Richardson just pulled off the 100 meter final. That was really dope to watch. Mm-hmm. She came and pulled it off right in the end. Yep, yep. I like seeing people win when, you know, the world has kind of turned their back on them. So mm-hmm. yeah, she is like, sorry, not sorry. Exactly. <laughs> you're going to get these wigs. You're going to get these nails. You're yes. Gonna get, and you're going to get the speed. Yeah. Yeah. You, you cannot help but, but respect what she has done and how she chooses to do it. Yep. I am mad at her at all. Yeah. My life has been very full in the last few weeks. Last week. We delivered our eldest child. Yeah, we had college move in. Wow. And, um, That's right. It's back to yeah, school time. It's back to school time. And you know what? what's really, really dope about um, historically Black colleges and, and super affirming that I probably didn't even appreciate when I was a college student is walking around the campus and seeing the names on the dorms, you mm-hmm. know, like Frederick Douglass Hall, which is where I lived as a freshman. You know, the male dorms are Benjamin Banneker and um, Mary McLeod Bethune. Mm. And so moving my son into a dorm with a name on the front of it that, you know, speaks to Black excellence and our contribution to helping build America. And knowing that he's going to be walking in there every day, in and Mm -hmm. out, you know, is really exciting. So he had his first day of classes today. And um, FaceTimed me while trying to figure out where he was supposed to be, but mm. really good spirits. Tuskegee is not that far from Atlanta. So yesterday, actually, I was able to do a turn and burn to go to their rite of passage ceremony for new students joining the Tuskegee family. So they took an oath and it was really cool listening to because that wasn't something they did back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> why y'all didn't do that for us? Anyway. <laughs> um, But they were just talking about their commitment to improving communities, to remembering the contributions um, of our ancestors, being inclusive and and being leaders and, you know, all of these things that are so affirming to hear right when you're coming out the gate as a student. So it was was just all every last one of them feels I had them. I did not cry. That was going to be my next question. I was like, girl... How'd you make it out of there? I did not cry. I didn't cry when I took him. Mm-hmm. And I didn't cry yesterday. I'm just very, very, very excited for him. I acutely miss my son though. He's, you know, he's a morning person like me and we usually are up talking in the morning and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm so excited for him. Mm-hmm. I'm not a mom who, you know, mourns um, stages. Like, you know, when my kids started kindergarten, I was happy for him. When he started middle school, I was excited. When high school came along, I was like, ooh, I think I've I've been very present and have enjoyed every stage. And I'm just, more than anything, I, I have that little tinge of angst because my son is now over, eight, you know, he's 18 and he's a black man and this is the United States. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you listen to this and you wanted them people who be praying, 
<laughs> go on and, you know, slide one in for, for the man and family. <laughs> you know I will. Thank you. I appreciate it. A little hedge of, hedge of protection. Yes. My children. Yeah. <laughs>
I was someone who really came to to grips and accepting of my sexuality as a queer lesbian black woman, kind of late at the end of medical school. And so in residency, I wasn't kind of fully out or fully comfortable with just being outward with my identity. And it wasn't till kind of towards the end of residency and chief year where I was just like, okay, like this is who I am. I need I need folks to know. And so while my immediate family knew, uh, I hadn't really had that conversation explicitly with some of my other relatives. I have to say many of those conversations were like infuriatingly anticlimactic because most people were just like, yeah, we, we knew, we figured. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't tell me. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? You could let me know. But at the same time, I, I recognize the privilege that goes along with being able to have conversations with family about this and it not turn into a rift or a breaking point. So Chicago was kind of last on this apology tour. And, you know, and it wasn't like I hadn't seen folks, particularly my grandparents. It just I hadn't really spent a lot of quality time with individuals outside of being kind of in and out for the holidays. And so I had come to Chicago and, you know, this was when my grandparents were still living in I remember kind of hyping myself up. I was just like, well, this has been really easy with my other folks. So I just need to tell my grandparents. And <laughs> and I'm sure it'll be fine. So I remember, and usually where I kind of post up is in the back room of the house. So I would just kind of lay on the couch and and chill. And, you know, at some point I could count on grandpa wandering back there. Then eventually he would launch into a story of which I would be a captive audience for a while. So I remember sitting there and he's like kind of going into a story about something or other. And I was just kind of looking for like a breaking point in the conversation. And at some point there was like kind of a moment where I could slide in there and. Oh my God, wait. So in between him coming up for a breath. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. It's just, I, there was some kind of like segue. Back in 1960. Hey, I'm queer. I know, right? I, I did. I do remember timing this though, because there was some point in the story where something around like homosexuality came up and I was just like, hey, by the way, there's something I've been meaning to share with you, grandpa. Like I'm actually gay. I'm, I'm attracted to women. And he was just like, huh. You know, so-and-so is also gay. And then he launches into another story, like like barely even, it was kind of like a blip on the radar. So I was like, okay, cool. And at some point, you know, he's going on and then I wait for another kind of break in the, in the cycle. And I was just like, you know, grandpa, I was actually thinking about telling grandma too while I'm here. And he, for the first time, stopped, looked at me and was just like, you're going to tell who? I'm going to, I'm going to tell grandma. And he starts shaking his head and he was just like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. So for a minute there, it seemed like he hadn't even caught what you said, but he did yeah. catch what you said. Exactly. He was fine, <laughs> but he was, he was sending out a warning shot. Like, nah, yeah. this mm-hmm. ain't what you want. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I was actually a little taken aback for that, for that same reason. And, you know, it just kind of you know, didn't register too much with him. He seemed fine with it, but he was very clear. He was just like, I don't think that's a good idea in terms of sharing it with my grandmother. So I guess just to to pause a little bit, I obviously have told a lot of stories about my grandmother and the beauty of our relationship and how much her love and care meant and has meant to me, even after she passed away in 2020. 
And I think that it's also important to include the fact that she was complicated, like all human beings. You know, there are a lot of parts within each of us. And I think for my grandmother, there were a lot of parts that held on to a lot of trauma, a lot of grief, particularly for Black people of that generation. You know, there was a lot of complex history there and a lot of intergenerational trauma. You know, my grandmother considered herself a fundamentalist Christian. She was someone who adhered to the the Church of God in Christ, which is a very strict religious ideology, but also a very deeply like spiritual and transcendent one. And growing up with her, like I knew this, I knew my grandmother was very religious, but it was never in a way that seemed like strict or abusive. It just was who she was. And, you know, I was so enamored by her love and her strength and all the things that I never questioned her ideology until I started kind of grappling with my own sexual identity. Mm. But at that time, when I was kind of gearing up to have this conversation, I was really of the mindset of, well, she loves me. So once she hears that I'm gay, it'll definitely change her mind. Like she'll see differently. So I found a space where it was just the two of us. We were talking and I decided instead of just tossing it out there, I would kind of like go around and kind of like probe her, her mindset first. And so as we were talking, we, I just kind of veered the conversation over to gay marriage, sharing with her, just like, you know, grandma, this is what I, what I think this is what I've come to believe about, you know, gay marriage and, you know, rights around this. And we've never had this conversation before, or even like broached this subject. I can see her facial expressions. You know, it was very clear, like it it didn't compute for her. It, she couldn't even fathom the idea that two people of the same sex could actually love each other and let alone that it would be okay to have a marriage. And as she's saying this and I'm seeing her expressions and hearing some of the things that, you know, were, were pretty hurtful. Um, it was interesting to experience what was happening for me at that moment. Hmm. I was starting to see her differently, starting to see her in a way that I had never seen her before. Mm. And what I felt was not, even though her words were you know, disappointing, I actually didn't feel hurt or sad at that time. What I felt was I felt sorry for her. I started to feel just this deep compassion. I was seeing for the first time, like, this is... This is not just about her accepting my identity. I could see that her holding on to some of these biblical principles that, you know, it's it's the word of God, it can't change, was actually a matter of her kind of holding on to control. Mm. It was a way of her like having something to kind of anchor to, to make sense of, you know, the rest of her life that largely seemed out of her control. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense to mm-hmm. you, Kimberly. I'm following you. But um. I guess it was the first time I was seeing chinks in the armor. Mm. I was seeing the human being and the hurt human being underneath my my fearless and spiritual and, and lovely and, and joyful grandmother. I could see someone who was deeply hurt and traumatized and frustrated by the things she couldn't do. And I could tell that trying to shift her ideology, at least at that moment, around the things that she understood about 
Christianity. It was asking her to kind of do like a deeper work within herself. And I didn't think that it was the right time to do that. Mm. Mm. I don't know like exactly what it was, but there was like this very heavy discernment of just like, this isn't, this isn't just about me. I don't need this from her right now. Mm. And it wasn't, you know, I need you to, to accept this in order to feel seen or loved by you. I had that from her. I wanted her to know the things that I was sharing with everybody else, but it really just did not feel like the right time. So I left it where it was and I was okay with that. In fact, I actually left that interaction just loving her more because Mm. I could see so much more behind the armor that she put on for me for most of my life. Mm. When I got back to California after that, I remember kind of sitting and reflecting on that. And, you know, there were waves of, of hurt and, and also anger, to be honest, just anger over the fact of just like, why is this shit so hard? (laughs) Why do I have to do these emotional gymnastics just to exist in the way that feels right? But ultimately I, I made peace with it, like a real peace. And the next time my grandmother and I really, you know, had another chance to be in each other's presence and kind of sit down and talk to each other was in Houston before she had the stroke. Mm. But in that conversation, it was mostly me listening. And it was actually one of the first times she opened up to me about some of the things that she went through in childhood. Mm. And again, just opening a different level of awareness and Mm. seeing her in the fullness of her humanity. I never had the conversation with my grandmother explicitly Mm. about my sexual identity. And to be honest, if I'm being like brutally honest, I'm so glad that we didn't before she died. Because at that point, it wouldn't have been the right time. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have left us in a good place. Mm. And I love the fact that we got to at least spend the remaining year of her physical presence, just enjoying the love and care as we'd always known it. And there's a part of me that I'm pretty sure she she knew, even though we didn't explicitly talk about it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it didn't change how she felt or behaved towards me. But I don't think she was ready to have that explicit conversation at that time. But now when I talk to my grandmother in prayer and quiet spaces, when I hear her voice in my soul, there's no barrier between us. Mm. And, you know, I can talk to her with more ease and authenticity and openness than may what may have been possible had she still been here right now, mm. you know? And who's, who's to say what, what would have happened, you know, if she had had a few more years on this, on this earth, but I, I feel like it, there would have been some tension between us. Because mm. again, it doesn't change how I love and feel about her, but, you know, for my own way of being and seeing the world, I, I disagree with a lot of her approach to her thoughts around religion, mm-hmm. but I can understand why she she held steadfastly to those beliefs. Yeah. Well, where your life was too, at that Mm -hmm. point, um, it also afforded you a space to be able to make that decision, right? Mm -hmm. Because if 
before your grandmother transitioned, you'd had a, a very serious partner that you were wanting to spend your life with. And, you know, it would, yeah, it was just like, you're just gonna have to get this news. Um, mm-hmm. Also sidebar as a person who has been married almost 20 years, you know, granddaddy told her that on some pillow talk. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, I know. granddaddy <laughs> found his little way to, to drop that in there. So yeah, she probably did know, but mm-hmm. Here's what I'm thinking about this. Number one, what an incredibly loving way to frame um, this experience and, 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 and a way to receive and see your grandmother. The, the ally in me immediately just wants to be like, oh, if you don't like me for who I am, then mm-hmm. you know. But people are complicated, as you said, yeah. and, and love is very complicated. Um, my friend, um, David Malbranch, um, who is an amazing medical doctor and a same gender loving brother, he he often talks about this idea of not so much coming out, but letting people in, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the more I hear about any, any form of letting somebody into something that is private and that is mine and that is for, for me to tell you, the truth is that you have to be somebody that is ready for me to let you in. Yeah, yeah. And there's many ways we let people in, right? It might be something as simple as I'm pregnant, which I'm not, <laughs> y'all, because I'm 52. But, <laughs> but it might be that, right? But, yeah. but maybe somebody is in a space in their life where they are in pain or they're angry or they're going through something and they can't be let into that part of your world right mm-hmm. now. Or maybe it's something very, very significant, like who you are, um, fundamentally who you are. And for me to open the door to let you into that very sacred space of of who I am, if you ain't ready to walk through that door and I'm going to let you into my sacred space and then we're fighting in there, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Yeah. And there are people that we love very, very much who can't, who can't be in on certain things. They just can't, they just can't be in on it. And it might, might not be a never, it might be a not now, exactly, or it might be a not like conventionally people think. Mm-hmm. Because whenever we tell people things or let people into intimate spaces in our world, we create a narrative of how we imagine that they'll respond. So in addition to them being ready to step in, we have to be ready to deal with whatever comes right yeah because we create a narrative but it is almost never what we thought it was going to be almost never and i think another beautiful thing to point out because i'm certain that there's somebody who's listening to this who is probably you know shaking their head hard and being like no you know that that's not fair to ashley and you know no this is who you you know who you are is who you are but we have to understand that people are products of of, of what they came up with. Yes. Right. Yes. So if you grew up like my maternal grandmother who went to Tuskegee and majored in home economics, that was her major home ec and her proud claim to fame. One of the things she always told me that she learned when she was getting her degree is that a way to make sure your home smells like a home cooked meal when your husband comes home <laughs> is to take a frying pan and saute some onions in the frying pan to make your whole house smell welcoming unlike a meal is ready, even if you're serving leftovers. <laughs> yeah. 
And she was, she like, like, but I would look at her while she was saying that and be like, no, that sounds really crazy. Like, <laughs> I'm tired too. I was like, I'm a whole doctor. I'm, I'm not trying to make you. Now I do sometimes do that. But, <laughs> but, but the point is really that when she in 1942 or 43 or whenever she started at Tuskegee, when she got there, you could be a nurse, you could be a teacher, or you could do home ec. She didn't want to be a nurse. She didn't want to be an educator. So, she, so, so like she said, like probably more than fifty percent of the women there were doing were doing home ec. That was the world that she was in, right? And and that might sound crazy to somebody else now, right? To go and pay and get a degree to do home economics. But guess what? That was where her world was. So, if your world was a paternalistic world where the law. And even the law that that held you down and kept you segregated was rooted in biblical teachings. That's what you know, fire and brimstone. That's what you know. Yeah. So I, I can't, I you know, I can't allow myself to put a whole bunch of energy and give a lot of oxygen to being angry at somebody who is a product of the time that they came up in, because even the time I came up in is so starkly different than these medical students that I am teaching right now. Even that, I, I feel like very old lady sometimes. Where I'm like, what? What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And yeah. I can I just add one other thing that if you are a black American and you are over the age of probably 65, just by definition of that, you have had trauma. Every single black American person over the age of 65 and probably under that too, mm -hmm. but definitely those who lived through segregation, we should approach them with a trauma-informed care lens, yes. which is what you did for your grandmother. It was trauma-informed, mm -hmm. empathic, and dope. And it teaches us something. It gave us all some pause, Ash, and made us think like, hey, wait a minute, before we get on the hind legs, Let's let's take a moment and be like, yo, wait a minute. What what all is going on here? Yes. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's there's obviously there's so much to that story and so much context that I've tried to tried to articulate it also left out. But I, I guess, yeah, that's exactly the the point I want to convey. It's just like relationships can be complicated, even the most endearing and the most loving relationships. For this particular individual who was my grandmother, I saw something so much bigger than, you know, just this black and white, like understanding of what's what's right and wrong. Like there was something more there that I, I, I could see in her that moved me to compassion and understanding because I love this person. I love her more than anything. And um, yeah, and, and in the end, I can still say that there was nothing I regret about our relationship, nothing mm. at all. Mm. It wasn't the right time. And, um, you know, I didn't realize that the actual conversation would happen after she passed, <laughs> mm. but um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that it went down the way that it did. And so I just want to infuse a little bit of hope for anybody who is maybe can relate to that struggle in terms of if and how to talk about these things. And not everybody is ready to be let in. Mm -hmm. You know, you ain't got to come out of nowhere, you know? 
and it's and it's for you to decide who gets to come in yeah. and what coming in looks like right yeah for some people letting the world in involves a rainbow t-shirt and a harness and some hot pants and and a, <laughs> and a, and a parade yeah for somebody else it could just involve quietly sitting in a library doing them or whatever mm-hmm. that looks like right yeah which is cool mm-hmm. and fine yeah that's a beautiful beautiful thing yeah well thank you for for hearing my story and uh affirming me and you know all all the emotions that come along with with re-experiencing that moment yeah and people and people do change mm-hmm. people do grow and sometimes you have to give them the space to do that and nobody does that for us like younger people who are of a different generation opening our eyes to see where we may have been missing something or where our views may have been a little bit too narrow yeah yeah so shout out always to your grandmother shout out for beautiful authentic whole unapologetic imperfectly perfect you yeah and shout out to anybody who is listening who is trying to sort out for themselves what it looks like to let people in yes well sister i love you dearly Mm -hmm. and know for sure your grandmother continues to be proud of you and um i'm proud of you too Mm. thank you sis i love you too and i'm proud of me too i like that answer yeah you know what boo i'm proud of me too yeah i am (laughs) that's what's up yeah holla that wraps up this week's episode of the human doctor podcast Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and the Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.